I came back from I came back from Japan early November and now it's already one month plus two weeks something like this have passed the sense of time is always somehow not exactly we count days and weeks it feels like a long time ago that's how I feel and uh, just before uh, when when I came to know probably I need to offer some reflection tonight and I look at uh, my notebook yeah, I made a, just one line of note uh, when I arrived back to Marabati in early November uh, it was about um, uh, the impression of this place. What I used the word, the word was silence. So when I came back uh, to be in a community, in the Sangha, or particularly in the temple like this, a temple, uh, the experience of silence was um, quite strong. The word I put in my notebook was uh, powerful and uh, special. Um, where I spent the Wassa in Japan, it was uh, in the countryside and also I was uh, supported by Japanese, a very uh, kind and sincere, faithful people. So I couldn't find uh, any anything to complain. But uh, still, when I came back here, a very um, clear sense of contrast when I arrived here, surrounded by the monastics in, in this very safe environment. And surrounded by the monastics means the just appearance of people in robes. And, uh, and to be in a temple like this, a uh, temple, and, and particularly uh, when we sit together in meditation, um, the hall, this hall is, uh, has its own quite strong presence. I be, I, that's how I feel. But when we sit together, uh, practice, practice uh, meditation together, then it's, um, the silence is not we may say it empty silence, but we are here, uh, people are sitting, and uh, so the in silence together, or in in this present moment, here and now together, that uh, experience was, as I wrote in a notebook, 
uh, special and powerful. And also, uh, well, today, we missed the chance to listen to Rumpo, Rumpo Smedo's talk. Uh, he would give us a Dhamma reflection uh, every week. And when I joined and listening to his talk in the afternoon, that was also very, very um, special opportunity. He talks about all, always just the most important, the, uh, what, what, we, what we would call essence. And to listen to together in this Dhamma hall, this in this temple, was a priceless experience. Um, I remember uh, quite some years ago when Lumpo was still the abbot here, and, uh, and he was younger, stronger physically, and uh, one of the um, the strong, one of the strongest moments we could have was when he gave a, a reflection in the morning. If you are here, then you remember uh, when we had a week long, week, um, week long or two weeks group practice, every morning at five, uh, he would sit here. And actually, not this Dhamma seat, uh, that different one, if you go to uh, a conservatory of Arokakuti, uh, where Lumpo sits and when he, when he received a guest there. So that is the Dhamma seat we used to use and he would sit here at five. So five o'clock was just like now, it's a time for morning meditation, sitting meditation. And so it's not like a usual uh, Dhamma talk. The light was quite uh, dimmed, uh, just like a, when we sit for a sit for a sitting meditation, and uh, everybody was simply simply meditating, and Rumpo sit here. Sometimes he doesn't start; he didn't start after five minutes. Sometimes straight from the beginning. And uh, it is really, it's not like uh, he was talking to us or addressing uh, to the assembly as usual, as in the usual Dhamma talk, but um, how, how can I say, he was simply uh, relating what is then here and now, he was simply saying what, uh, what is there. Probably this is not precise enough. So uh, sometimes he quietly continues. Sometimes he would have a pause for easily a few minutes, even longer. But we are simply, we also, not like listening to somebody's talk, but we are 
sitting in meditation. So my experience then was like the 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 whole temple was became a place of, in my word, the place of truth or reality or whatever you would like to call. So it's um, it's it's not like an individually sitting, listening or meditating. And then Rumpo was, or someone was talking to us, but just, just uh, everybody was meditating, sitting, and the Rumpo was just expressing what, what is there. So, um, and he, when he was stronger, young, physically stronger, younger, I'm not, there are different styles of teaching, uh, like this morning reflection was to me the most powerful way he uh, shared us. I mean, he did the usual evening talks or Sunday talks during the wasa, or he led the retreat and the retreat center, or somehow different style because of the setting. But this morning one was really the whole uh, this temple and the people and Paul, we were together, but it's uh, my experience was like that the whole place was became a place of truth or dharma or reality. Uh, so, uh, but that is uh, uh, symbolical, even symbolically, the, to me, the very strongest experience. But even now, uh, the similar kind of silence, to experience silence, when I came back here, um, so that was tangible. But I also knew um, after some time, I might lose it, just being, let's say, to, to too busy, engaged in this and that, or everything becomes kind of routine now. So that my perception would become dull. I knew it would come, so that's why I intentionally made a note. And it is true when we live here together like this every day, same kind of routine and uh, let's say same faces. So. Uh, uh, even we start to feel um, boredom, but once we refresh our perception by changing a place or just stepping away slightly, then uh, it is, this place is special. And I repeat about it was powerful to me. Um, And that uh, made me reflect on the nature of this place, the monastery where the ordained, ordained people living together for the Dhamma. <coughs> and uh, just before I left Japan, coming back here, I had a 
quite a unique opportunity uh, ceremony to attend. Uh, it was only few few days before I left Japan for Amaravati. It was um, in English the ceremony of uh, uh, abbatial succession. And, uh, so the change of the abbot of the monastery, Buddhist monastery there, and here the abbatial succession. It, it is now a bit active agenda, interesting agenda in our community, like elders council meeting, they start discuss um, the change of leadership. And uh, the, the ceremony I attended was at, uh, uh, it is in Japan, so the Buddhism is there, uh, the Mahayana Buddhism, and the monastery was is was built in fourteen hundred something, so in fifteenth century. And uh, the, this the new, new abbot will be their thirty third abbot. So uh, it has a uh, history, and uh, the new abbot what the abbot to be is a friend of mine. Uh, he came to Amaravati, that's how I came to know him. Uh, I can, I need to explain a little bit the background. Uh, in Japan, uh, most of the temples, Buddhist temples are, you can say, by now, family run temples. Or fun, uh, bit, for us, it's a bit funny to say family run or it has a family lineage. This is because up, about 150 years ago, Japan uh, opened the country and they start uh, to choose the way to become more westernized. And the government uh, encouraged or even they made a law, or maybe I'm not sure, but at least government encouraged the Buddhist monks to have a family life. I mean, to marry and have a family. So it is, it is a quite unusually difficult thing for the monks to accept then, I believe, but slowly, gradually, it became a, a normal thing they accepted in a society. So most of the temple, Buddhist temples in Japan now uh, it run by the family. It means you're born to the uh, Buddhist temple and when you grow up and then when your father becomes older, you succeed. That is a common way to uh, maintain the lineage. So my friend, he was born in the uh, one of the uh, Buddhist temple there. It is a big one because it has few, even fewer sub-temples. So it's a big one. And uh, he was born, so he is used to 
how the monastery or temple functions. But he, he, because he had a brother, he thought he didn't have to uh, become a abbot there. But uh, his brother couldn't succeed. Maybe my memory is not clear, but maybe his brother died. So suddenly, my friend uh, realized that he should uh, become the abbot soon. And the question came up to him. Um, what is it to be the abbot of the monastery or to be the abbot of the temple? So he was born there, he grew up there, so he should know what it is like. So there are many, many rituals. It is different from here, but in Japan, one of the important function uh, of the Buddhist temples are to uh, is to conduct m many rituals, particularly funerals and related to uh, uh, your funerals and then related uh, uh, memorial services. And other, other uh, functions, particularly to serve local community. So he would understand what it is like to be the abbot or in charge of the temple. But uh, he wasn't sure his question was in fact what is what it what it is to be a Buddhist monk and why the Buddhist monastery can exist. Uh, although I said that this is the Buddhist temple in Japan is family-run, but uh, it is also uh, financially run by donation. In Japanese we say fuse, uh, which means dana. So it is, uh, it is based on generosity. So for him, this is also became a question. Uh, yes, if you work, if you work and you get a salary, this is no question, but live on the dana, live on the donation or generosity, what is it? Am I safe to be so? So uh, many things he knew, but once he realized he is going to be the abbot in charge, many things became questions. And because he, uh, he, uh, he is fluent in a few language, foreign languages, so he, he started traveling a little bit uh, around the world and eventually he came to Thailand or eventually one time he came to Thailand and visited Wat Pananacha. And um, so and his experience at uh, Wat Pananachat, um, right now that Anjita Samaro is there to spend one year, sister uh, Yana Siddhi also staying nearby the monastery. So uh, he went there, stayed there 
I don't think it's a long time, but a few weeks, something like this. And it, it helped him. What uh, my friend told me, I don't remember exactly, maybe this is um, my way of interpreting it, but what he, what he saw there, what he experienced there at Wat Panachat, I have to say, uh, my own experience when I went there uh, as a layman almost 40 years ago, that, that is sort of uh, coloring my uh, understanding but for him to see how the sangha the monastery and the lay supporters are living there and practicing there uh, help him to understand understand the life of this monk he and he, he now became confident become confident to be a the abbot what did he experience there should be one of the things it should be uh, the villagers so faithful so devoted if you go there you see uh, thailand is a buddhist country everybody knows but particularly northeast thailand it's a, a homeland of uh, thai forest tradition and the villagers there it's they are compared to uh, people living in a city, leading a more simple life, but they, for their uh, sense of devotion and faith in uh, Buddhism and Buddhist monastics, this is very clear, strong. So uh, to be there, for instance, the, the monks going to be in the bath every morning, going through the villages, just soon around the dawn time, the villagers are waiting at, uh, along the road or nearby the entrance of the village or inside the village. And uh, every post of the day, they come to the temple and monastery and take eight, many of them take eight precepts and uh, Following Ajahn Chah's tradition, the monastery, if the monastery has not just a midnight vigil, but even the, the whole night sitting, and sometimes they sit more firm than the monks would do. So uh, how, how they are, I, mean, I, I hope I can describe better, but uh, uh, you don't have to think, but once we see how the villagers are, we see what is faith, 
what is dana, what is the joy there? We just feel it, we just know it. And also, uh, this is my guest too, the, the, my friend uh, stayed, when he stayed at Wat Panachat to see uh, the monks, particularly the, the Westerners or the foreigners, non-Thais, uh, wearing this robe. Very simple lifestyle. And uh, when this form, this is, you can say, the, the oldest form of Buddhism, almost, almost like a similar to the way the Buddha himself uh, lived. So uh, when you see that simple form, uh, for him, just um, for my friend, he was born in a Buddhist temple, so he, maybe he, many things were very familiar to him, but when he came to Wat Panachat in Northeast Thailand to see the essence of Buddhism, if you like, or the most, uh, the core, basic, fundamental part of Buddhism, simple, not complicated, but this is what the Buddhism, this is what the monastics are, this is what how Buddhist community is. I think having seen this, his understanding of Buddhism became refreshed and for him to be uh, in charge of Buddhist temple in Japan became possible. More confidence arose. So he really, uh, even now, he values the connection with the Theravada tradition. He values the connection with uh, Ajahn lineage. So uh, later on, when he came to um, Europe and visit uh, Amaravati, uh, we got connected, and uh, when I go back to Japan uh, very often, and, and I also visit his his temple, and I have I would offer some teachings, and now uh, his father nearly 70, I think, he time to retire or resign. So uh, they're going to have a, a basal succession, a big ceremony. I was invited and I was uh, invited uh, uh, to offer a uh, Dhamma talk. It's a quite honored, honored occasion. Um, and also I was very pleased to support uh, him in, in occasion of his important uh, transition. And uh, the, the ceremony itself, for me to attend the ceremony, because I am often involved in various ceremonies or functions, so I could see the, how they organize the ceremony, particularly in a symbolical area. Uh, I, it was a 
there are many things uh, I found interesting, but just one important part, when they had a ceremony of abbatial uh, succession, all from the old abbot to new abbot, uh, main part is where well, there are many rituals and then many parts, but to me, three are important to, uh, to have this ceremony in an authentic way. Number one is the letter from uh, the main temple. Uh, the, the temple belongs to Puran school, and uh, so the letter to uh, approve or appoint new abbot. So, so the letter from the main temple or headquarter, if you like, is one thing to authorize new abbot. And number two, from the old abbot, his father in this case, from old abbot to new abbot, presenting the robe. I was explained traditionally or originally the robe is uh, from the, the founder of the Dispurant school and then to the second, the third, the actual lobe was passed on, but of course the lobe became old and it became impossible. So they may have uh, had a new kind of lobe, but uh, anyway, the symbolically from old abbot or current abbot to new abbot, the pass on the lobe was uh, one significant moment. And then third one was to, again, from the old abbot to new abbot, the record of the monastery or temple, which has history, but also uh, all the record of funerals they had. Uh, this is quite different from us, but it means you receive the history, you, and also you really understand, you become in, uh, in charge of this local community. But to me, particularly the second one, when they uh, uh, know the offering, passing from, passing the lobe from old abbot to new abbot. Because my memory came back, memory of our case when Rumpo Sumedo retired and then Achamaro became the abbot, the leader of this monastery. Probably here, many, only few people were there. It was 20, 2010, November, and the, the formal ceremony was held here only by the Sangha, and no picture was taken, to say nothing of video. So even those people, those who attended the ceremony, 
might not remember. So just I'd like to share how we did. Because, uh, yes, Theravada tradition is very old, 2,500 years old, but in terms of lineage, it must come to Thai forest tradition, even to come to Achancha's lineage. It's not that old. So uh, for us to have a, a basal succession, it's totally new how to do, how can we really relate to this significant change of our teacher, of our leader. So we gathered here, that was in November, and uh, before we started to have a proper ceremony, Lumpo, Lumpo Sumeda had a particular request. Uh, it is about Achancha's shrine. Uh, the, the Achancha's statue was already there, shrine was made, but he, Lumpo knew we never had the proper ceremony for Ajancha's shrine. So before Rumpo departs, he wished to have ceremony for Ajancha's shrine. So we gathered just in front of the Ajancha's shrine and we chanted Vipassanabhumi. So Vipassanabhumi we were told this is uh, Lumpocha's favorite chanting. So, so when he was in his vegetative state, when we, we offered chantings, but uh, we never missed the Vipassana Bhumi because we were told this is his very favorite uh, chant. So for this occasion too, we sat around and offered Vipassana Bhumi. And after that, we moved to the main part of the temple and we invited Rumpo and Ajamaro to sit at the front, side by side. And as we do always, we took, uh, uh, asked for, for, for forgiveness. And uh, we poured the water to the hands both, both Ajans. We, and we made sure the water was warm. November is cold, so we made the water warm enough. So, uh, and how to do a transition in a symbolical, not symbolical way, the way we feel connected. So what we designed is we also prepared a set of rope. And uh, we, the, the, and the set of robe was brought to everybody one by one, and everybody touched the touched the robes, just like in Thailand we do not do this often. But I noticed uh, Sri Lankans when they offer something uh, in, to 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 be connected, they they touch the item and then hand in anjali, something like this, you know, when you make offering. So the same way, when this robe was passed on, every single of us just touched and then hand in anjali so that we feel, we felt connected. And it passed on to the last, the most junior person. And 
I think Ajahn Wajiro, he was the second monk then. So Ajahn Wajiro offered this to Rumpo Sumedo. So uh, because we did this one by one, the, this robe was really representing all of us, every Sangha member, the heart is there. This is from us. This is what uh, we are for, something like this. And then Ajahn Wajiro, representing the Sangha members, offered it to Rumpo um, Sumedo. And then Rumpo Sumedo received it and handed it to Ajahn Amaro. So to see in that way, so the transmission of the leadership uh, shown, symbolized in a robe, but also everybody is connected. And is now from Lumpo, previous abbot or current abbot to the, uh, the new coming abbot leader, Ajahamaro. And when we finished, uh, and then I think even the same day after that, Lumpo flew to, uh, went to Heathrow and left this country. And then following morning, Ajamoro moved into that kuti. Uh, and also when we, also I think when we pour the water to two Ajans, uh, we chanted Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta. As uh, all of us know, Rumpo uh, always referred to uh, Four Noble Truths and Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta the theme is Four Noble Truths. So uh, to recite the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, when we pour the water, the hands of two Ajahns, we, we thought this is the most appropriate. So we just chanted again and again Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta. So this is the way we uh, managed to, to do transition, transmission of uh, our leadership. Uh, when Rumpo, after received the, the robe, he offered it to Ajamaro. He said, this is not my size, so I give it to you. This is really Rumpo's medal. Even this is most serious moment. So we liked it. But, but just I uh, wanted to share this because probably because nothing is filmed or nothing is photoed and it's only Sangha only meet uh, event and even I, I it, it started disappearing from my memory so I thought it's for this occasion I wanted to share and it, very interesting enough so the abbatial succession the ceremony of of abbatial succession in Japan too, the robe played a significant role. So uh, when we we have ordination ceremonies, always we receive the bowl and the robe from the sponsors or parents or whoever, and we offer bowl and robe to uh, our preceptor. And also in our ordination procedure, candidates are questioned if we are qualified. And one of the questions is 
actually boring roles are ready or not. So uh, although, uh, particularly in this monastery, uh, we have so many responsibilities, so many things to take care, so many things to think about, but the central part of our life is really there for and uh, rose. We should not forget this. And uh, I, when I um, was invited uh, of a Dhamma talk, uh, the theme I shared was, um, well, I talked about the word bhikkhu, just a party word for the monk. And uh, so the bhikkhu, the, uh, it, the word itself originally from what it meant was uh, the one who begs. So this is really what 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 says is about the mendicant. When just now uh, the committee took eight precepts, you know the five precept is a precept of morality. It's very clear. Eight precept, I would call it the morality, uh, the precept of renunciation, eating in the afternoon. Is it against the moral? No, of course, fine, but it is meant to be make our life more simple and uh, uh, more towards renunciation. So that you can say precept kept in the monastery. But now when it comes to the 10 precept, actually only one precept is different because the seventh precept of the eighth precept divided into two, as you know. So the only the 10th precept is new to the, when we take 10 precept, giving up the money, control of the money, and this is a significant change our relation to the world. When we have a money, when we have a money, it means we can choose. Of course, I mean, sometimes we don't have money. If you go that channel, it's a totally different story. But at least when you have a money, you know, even to go to London, you don't have to worry too much as far as you have money or the credit card. But as a, as a monks, we know we really, uh, vulnerable so the to have a money is almost like a, you we can choose we can control but once we give up this by taking 10th precept is in a sense we surrender or we trust in goodness and generosity of people of other human beings so it can be scary, even frightening experience, but as all of us know, you know we are so well supported, but the 10th precept is what makes us a samana, mendicant. So that's why when we take 10th precept, when we have a pabbacha going forth, we'll have a ball. This is for begging. And then robe. This robe is, you can't find something similar in the world. This is very 
I, if I use a strong word, strange thing in the world, it doesn't match. You can't find the same thing in the world, but it meant to be so because this, this is a form to show we are mendicant. It is a form to show our relation to the world is different. So, um, uh, so in that sense, in, for this reason, for our uh, ordination ceremony, bowls and then robe, uh, robes are significant. And even this abbatial succession, uh, we, I, bowl didn't come out, but the robes are held in a central piece. And also when I, uh, when I talked about the word bhikkhu, this, uh, since, since my early training, I was taught, I reminded again and again, the meaning of uh, bhikkhu is the one who see the danger of sansara. The one who see the danger of sansara. When we, when we reflect on this word, it is not about, really it's not about uh, monks or nuns or ordained. It is about everybody. It is about whoever practices. That's why when we see the, in a chanting sutta, because of the his, historical situation when Buddha taught certain uh, teachings, Buddha addressed to the monks, that's why word bhikkhus, bhikkhus appears. But it, we don't have to read in a way, oh, this is only for the monks, nothing to do with me. No, because the one who sees danger in a sansara, so this is the essence, the meaning, what practice means, what we are learning. So in that, in that sense, in, in that meaning, it is to do with everybody. And uh, when I uh, gave a talk at this uh, abbatial succession ceremony, uh, ceremony. I also wanted to say this to, to see the danger of the sansara, particularly because um, I have to say the situation of the world now. After I came back to Amaravati, my contact with the news in the media is much less so so somehow i feel more peaceful but when i was in japan uh, actually november was a very intense time so many strong uh, news one after another and um, this part of the world is even worse i would imagine but even japan uh, heavy heavy news one after another so, uh, it, it, of course, it's not only about the immediate serious situation of the world, but the world has so many difficulties, challenges, conflict, problems, and so forth. That was uh, quite strong in me. And when I thought of my friend going to be a, the abbot in charge of the temple, what 
can I share? What do I want to say? So to, I have to think again, what is the temple? What is the monastery? So it is very simple thing, a simple term, but the word peace was became clear to me. When I go to, uh, in Japan, uh, I often go to, it's not as like a visiting, but just go to the temples to feel peace or silence, you know. So even the busy lifestyle of modern society, modern life, uh, just the presence of temple like this, I strongly recognize, particularly in a situation of the world like this, this is what we really need. This is what we really should not forget. We need to remember, we need to come back, we need to recognize. So that was quite uh, strong in me. So that made me to choose, uh, choose the theme uh, to see the danger of the samsara. If, when I, of course, in the samsara, what, what, how do we un, uh, understand, how do we interpret the word or concept samsara? Okay, the cycle of, uh, or perpetual cycle of birth and death. But also you can say, just a continuation of suffering again and again, or making mistakes again and again, intentionally, unknowingly. It's just a, a strong feeling I felt them. And uh, when I say this uh, danger of sansara or sansara, yes, what I said now is more like a situation in the world, uh, the strong exploit the weak or winner and the loser. rich and poor, oh. but also we know even the, okay, between when there's a war, when there's a conflict, we will say somebody somehow win, and then the other side, there's a loser. But we also know this is not the end. It, the story continues. The suffering repeats itself even in a more painful way, more disturbing way, we all know, and yet we repeat again and again. But are we really ho in a hopeless situation? So uh, when, I, when I say, a quote to this, the, uh, to see the danger in the sansara, also it comes to each individual uh, we have uh, 
habitual pattern of thinking or how to react, not respond, but react to our feelings, to situations, to ourselves, to others. We repeat again and again. And maybe we suffer, repeat the same stories. So uh, when we, when I say sansara, I also think of each individual about the personality, about the psychological, emotional challenges too. And even to come to our practice, you know, we sat together in meditation. This is really um, center of our life, if you like. We come here to practice, we come here to meditate, but it is, how, how do we see the sansara? How do we see the practice? Is it, do we practice in the place of to see the danger of the sansara? What I mean is, if it's a meditation, if it's a practice to something to make, something to add, something to fight for, no. Is it really practice? Is it really someone who sees the danger in a samsara? Or just, although we say meditation, although we say Buddhist practice, but we simply strug uh, struggling in the world of samsara, how much we can do better or less, more, when, what? No. So uh, it is quite strong conditioning, at least in me. So when we say patience, we often unknowingly lost in a way of practicing or thinking or living in the world of samsara. And then just to, to remember, like from the beginning, I said this is the peace or silence, or if you like a freedom, this the away from sansara. So are we really practicing seeing our practice, seeing our way? What is what is it? in relation to samsara. It's not like uh, we have to find the answer or we have to do this or that, but to, to, like for me, when I, to me, when I just uh, remember this word to see the danger of the samsara, yeah, it has a layers of meaning, if you like, as I said, we can think of the world, we can think of personal matters, but also the practice. Just to bring up this word, to see the danger of the world, uh, sorry, to see the danger of samsara. Where am I? What am I doing? Am I possibly lost in a samsara without knowing it? So like a good example is like even in the middle of the busiest day, Ajamara often reminds us, the purpose of life here is end of 
suffering end of dukkha, or not to suffer. Even when we have a busy, big event like a katina, but he would remind us, or like a recent tree, the theme of Dhamma reflection, Lumpo, Ajamarokoro, is about the nature of time, timelessness, a kariko. You know, we are so time bound. How much do we do? How much do we not do? When? What next? Both. But even it comes to the practice, if we think of our practice lost in a sansaric way of thinking, what is next? How much we have to do? So once we born in this realm of time, then we almost carry the time, the sun weight of samsara, of course then practice is something unreachable, too heavy, so difficult. Because we carry the time, we create the time, and we, we believe this is, is the case, and we carry. So meditation or practice become a burden. We say we strive, we endeavor, but if we carry the whole weight of sansara, nobody can survive, of course. But Rumpo, when he talks about talked about akariko, timeless, ajamara followed, timeless, or ajamara uh, often loved quote Rumpocha's word, the monks does not have a future. In the normal sense, it's a very funny, even frightening word, no future, but Future is also creation, just like a time-bound way of thinking we create in the future, but all we create, even in a practice, uh, the, even we think of our practice meditation, you know, how often we say, we don't, I don't reach anywhere, when can I? How many years do we have to, I have done this. So all, and interesting enough, what next? How long do you have to, these words? And if we ask ourselves in a very honest way, it's very true, we believe, and then we work hard, but somehow we also know this is very hard work, but is it really, the one who sees the danger in a sansara, instead we simply believe the sansara. In this sense, in, in this aspect, what I want to say is the sansara is expressed in time-bound perception. So uh, I, I'm, I'm extending us uh, today's theme with a uh, certain way. So now I come back to the word the seeing the danger in samsara, yes, from the world situation to personal, psychological, emotional, interpersonal challenges to our, what we call, practice, uh, 
the once we understand, once we recognize this danger of samsara, it's difficult to stop. Uh, okay, I, I so um, okay, I jump, jump, jump to conclusion. Today, at the beginning, I said uh, peace or silence uh, is quite striking to me. What we notice, what we appreciate is the presence of silence, the peace. And it is not something we make. It's not something we strive for. This is very simple. and. It is not some, I have to explain, I believe everybody can understand this. Everybody can feel this, this peace, this silence. It's not we're making, it's not we're striving for. But this is almost, almost like a symbolically how we understand our relation to sansara. Either it, it would be our personal tendency, like when we sit, sit in meditation, maybe we have many thoughts, emotions come up, present one, but also challenging one, different ones. But this is simply what's happening. Probably the word, not sansara, sankara is better. Just arising, passing, arising, passing. And in a context of simply silence. But because we believe so much in thoughts, what's happening, this is a problem, I want to make it, I have to remove it, I have to do this, I have to reach, and so forth. So, so we lost in the world of sansara, and then sankara is overwhelming us. But once, just simply recognizing how the silence is, the monastery or temple, why we need it, why we value so much. It is simply clear. You know, as when I came back from Japan to see the fellow monks and nuns, fellow samanas, this love, you know, this love is really telling me totally different relation to the world of samsara and the temple, there's a silence. It's not about we have to do something forcefully, but also it's not about the denying or dismissing. We, we work, we, our, we work, uh, we do our best to work with our conditions. This is our responsibility. I'm not saying to dismiss or to reject, but if we don't have any perspective around it, then to living in a world of samsara is just simply burden, suffocating, just like a thing after another without any space around. But we also know the peace and the silence is available. And our life, 
our form and then the monastery is for it. I should stop now. So thank you for uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, uh, what I wanted to say is um, what we wanted to share is although living here every day we can become lost in a, all the details but uh, it was very strong when I came back from Japan to see what is this place very unusual, very special, very powerful it was and then it is really I can use the word priceless so we we, we shouldn't forget this we, we shouldn't be lost okay and I stop here thank you very much <clears throat> Thank you.